to the movies tonight. Remember when the movie theaters used to do that? Like, they would have, like, before the movies, they would have, like, those bad songs with, like, new lyrics put to them. It would be like trying to do Let's All Go to the Lobby, and the silence is deafening, Andrew. Say something. Hey, everybody. It's the Wages of Cinema. Thank I'm you. Andrew. I'm Jack, and, and uh, welcome to... Uh, the your... Wages of Cinema. Yeah, where we make sure that we watch movies and we feel everything. We feel the joy, we feel the pain, we feel the wages itself. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and of course that's what it means. Wages, you know, movies cost money, but also the wages of sin is, you know, you feel the wages. All right. So what's up, Jack? I'm, I'm good. Um, uh, you know, I've had a pretty good couple of weeks, watched a lot of things because I've had a little bit of time off of work. Um, kind of, you know, almost you could say in between jobs, but, you know, not officially unemployed. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It gave me a lot of time to catch up on movies. I, uh, finished reading The Hobbit, which I'd never read before. Oh. And that was quite a good book. I mean, this isn't a book podcast, but if you have never read The Hobbit, it's good stuff. You know what I always thought would be, is great about The Hobbit? Mm. How it evenly divides into three parts, and then you can make a movie out of each of those three parts. Of course! Of course it does! Hey, it's 287 pages, so let's take that first 90-something pages and make that into a movie. That's what I thought. I know! It makes so much sense, especially... You know, when you throw in all that stuff that didn't happen in any of the books. And, you know, God, oh, reading that book and just suddenly remembering uh, the things that Battle of the Five Armies did. Just, oh, I kind of dislike that movie even more now. Like, that movie, did I tell yeah. you about Legolas, how he be becomes a video game character in that movie? Awesome. There's a scene where he's on, like, this bridge and rocks are falling down, and he's jumping up the rocks, as <laughs> like, jumping up as they're falling. And the guy who, uh, they did a CinemaSins, Everything is Wrong with video, and at that moment, as he's running up the stairs, not the, the, the steps, you hear, doink, 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 doink. It's very appropriate. Hmm. But anyway, we're not here to talk about books. Uh, we're here a while ago, there was a we had a metric where it was like we, we would talk about a movie we had seen. So I and I would ask you like, okay, so Jack, yes. is this movie better or worse than that? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that, I think you we did what? that. Maybe for the... we should bring that back for this episode. All right, I'm calling it now. Uh, it we're gonna rate every film on this podcast today. <laughs> As better or worse than Battle of the Five Armies. You won't be sorry you listened. Uh, uh, but there, uh, there's a movie I want to bring up. All right, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about this movie because this movie seriously bombed when it got released back in back in 2013. Okay. And I wonder if you'd seen it because you're the most likely person in this room to have seen it. Did you see The Lone Ranger when it came out? Yes. All right. What did you think of The Lone Ranger? Two hours of mostly kind of dull 
you know, things happening, and then a full 20 minutes of awesome. Yeah, the ending is pretty awesome. <laughs> like, when it suddenly becomes a Lone Ranger movie in, like, the last 20 minutes, when you get that excellent uh, train chase where, you know, because most of the movie, it, I guess you could almost call it, like, an origin story. Right. Because he's not, like, uh, Army Hammer is the Lone Ranger. He's not quite the Lone Ranger at the start. He goes through this long... I don't even call it quest. Like he he goes through this whole thing in the movie. God, I don't even remember most of the plot because it's one of those really complicated movies with lots of strands. And then Tonto is almost more of a main character than Lone Ranger. Almost, yeah. Uh, I really I, I saw this recently because of reasons, and okay. I just uh, directed by Gore Verbinski, by the way. Hey, Gore Verbinski, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Rango. Right. And and I was wondering uh, while watching this, like, man, why did this film bomb so bad? I mean, there are films much worse than this that make like a billion dollars. Mm. And no, it wasn't like the worst movie that I had seen. Like, I probably would have, I would probably watch The Lone Ranger over Man of Steel. Yeah, again. I'd, I'd do that. Like among like 2013 movies. Um, and even though Man of Steel might have been a little bit more consistent. Like, when The Lone Ranger did finally entertain me, it was like, oh, here's why you got Gore Verbinski. Because when you actually get him doing an action sequence and you get that Lone Ranger music going. Right. You know, because this is the guy that made Rango, which was a terrific movie. Yeah. Um, you know, a really that, nice western, too. Yeah. Yeah, an excellent western. Even though it involves animated lizards and stuff, it, it showed uh, a lot of heart and a lot of love of the genre. And I guess you could say Lone Ranger, you know, it's it's a Western, but it's just a lot of the story for me, it's just, okay, okay, okay. Like some, a lot of it plotted along and it's like, okay, now this incident happens and this incident happens. And it's just like such a dirty, grime-filled movie. Here's the thing that I, I really appreciate about the Lone Ranger. I really did think that the story was good. Okay. Uh, it had a lot of adventure in it. it uh, you understood the characters and their motivations. Army Hammer and Johnny Depp make a pretty good pair. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's got a lot of cool touches to it. Where it was like, how do you make a movie out of a lone the Lone Ranger, which is a character who has been less than relevant for more than forty years? Yeah, I was gonna say it, <laughs> and, it, it's it's like how about we have a. Uh... Uh, a Rin Tin Tin movie. Right. And I don't mean Tin Tin. I mean Rin Tin Tin. The dog. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying because I, some people, you know, listening will probably be like, what the hell's a Rin Tin Tin? And it's, you know, the, and the Lone Ranger, I've seen, like, my dad likes to watch reruns of the Lone Ranger. Okay. From, like, the 50s. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't see, and it's nothing special now. Yeah, it's just like an old, another old western that you know. It was a serial. Yeah, you you but, you, you kind of know what you're getting in each episode. It's not like you're you're gonna suddenly wind up with uh, the season of the Lone Ranger where uh, um, where, where he and Tonto are fighting on opposite sides of a civil war. No. Yeah, I mean <laughs> you you're not gonna get that. You're, you're not even gonna get like that that episode where. You know, like on Star Trek, whenever Spock had to go back to his home planet and screw every seven years, right. you don't get, get you don't get that. Um, but but you know, the like... Lone Ranger is kind of dull, and then I think they made one of the best movies they could out of it. The problem with the story, though, is that 
a uh, a lot of the scene, a lot of the scene, the situations and the scenes end. Yeah. Uh, basically, because the horse saves them, it's like a, it's like, yeah. a, it's like a Deus Ex Machina, but with a horse. Do du- Ex Horse. That's not how you say it. But horse whatever. Ex Machina. Uh, there. Horse Ex Machina. Trademark wages of cinema. And there are a lot of plot holes and a lot of continuity problems that oh, they yeah. try to skirt around with with that framing device of you know Tonto, who's an old man, I telling just, that story. I just remember again. I, I haven't seen the movie since literally July fourth. 2013 huh. I, I took my day off from work and saw that movie and i just remember also the sequence where a lot of people are getting shot do you know what i'm talking about there's a sequence where there's like this indian massacre i think well yeah the they're, that, they're I, indian, there's an indian attack and yeah like it's a po- it almost it, it feels like that sequence should have been really rousing but it just felt kind of weighty it it didn't have yeah there it, wasn't it a didn't lot have of a great deal of impact it was just kind of there wasn't a lot blah. of joy to the movie that's why the last twenty minutes really got my attention I was like oh yeah because I, that got really exciting there's a lot of this movie where you know Tonto's whole history of his people being oppressed you know so so you're basically taking the series that was originally fairly lighthearted and yeah it was adventurous but it was also for kids. And you give it this, again, like, weight of darkness. But I like what they did with Tonto because he's... Oh, yeah? Because you, you find out his whole backstory, and then you find out that even the people in his tribe think he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, all, he's been acting crazy in front of, like, all the white people, and they're like, oh, he's just a crazy Indian. Sure. And then, you know, you, you get among the Indians, like, oh, no, he's just a crazy guy. Yeah. And you know he he's he's really not telling you the truth about anything. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because you have Johnny Depp, who is a white guy playing an Indian, yeah, and doing all these oddball things. He gets to hit, he's getting you know he gets to mug for the camera, kind of Jack Sparrow style. Yeah, and we're not ex- and the film kind of lets us off the hook. We're not expected to uh, we're not expected to believe that like this is how an Indian behaves. No, no, well, it's like no. This is just all. this is just a crazy person, and the film yeah. dealt with that uh, pretty well. And yeah, I thought yeah, that, and I thought the fine. humor was decent. It's just that the plot doesn't come together in the, those meaningful ways. Like if you're getting out of situations in these contrived ways, yeah. and if there are all these plot holes and things like that, yeah. then it certainly doesn't make for well, a rousing adventure. Well, that's I, why I meant the whole all the setups were great, but they never had really a good resolution. It's always like yeah. oh the horror which is somehow magical saved them yeah well that's what i meant by kind of plodding along it's that if you have all these incidents and you can kind of connect the dots between things that are happening but i just you know aside from that last that big rousing climax with the train there's nothing there wasn't a lot of things that really stood out as far as things like even in other verbinski movies like pirates of the caribbean i could think of things in that movie that Oh my god, that really oof. Except for maybe um at World's End, which Well just even that well at World's <laughs> End had the whole Davy Jones locker sequence, which I, but, I don't know, but I'm, that I'm, happened in the, that happened in the first act of the film and then yeah. we got way past it. Yeah. But what I like uh there there are some things I noticed about this, you know, Gore Verbinski likes to do with you know, his references. Yeah. This film has a lot in common with another Western, Once in T- Upon a Time in the West. A little bit. The basic setup of a railroad baron yeah. who who has this outlaw working for him and is mm-hmm. trying to, uh, and in fact, I think uh, the story in The Lone Ranger has 
greater cohesion than the story in Once Upon a Time in the West. There, yeah. there are some parts in that film that just kind of don't make sense. Well, uh, but I'm not going to talk about that. And even and what really got me interested was not only are these little story references to that movie in uh, in Lone Ranger, but they're also uh, Hans Zimmer actually references the soundtrack to Once Upon a Time oh, in the West nice. in, in a little bit. And my brother happened to be in the same room. He's also a big Ennio Morricone fan. And the minute he we heard that, we both, both of us went, huh? Yeah, <laughs> kind of like a dog seeing a squirrel. Mm. Well, yeah. No, I, I overall, I would say that I didn't, I didn't leave the movie too angry because it did leave on a high note. Okay. But I wish that it's also a long movie. It's like it's two, long. it's two and a half hours long. And now I wouldn't mind that if they had kept up that that adventure story with uh, yeah with the, I mean, everything that happened it, in that mo- in that movie could have made for a great two and a half hour long movie. It, it just doesn't come together. I mean that that's way. also the thing. Sometimes if you're doing an origin story, like I mean Disney sh- surely thought, okay, we have another potential franchise in our hands. Sure. And you know I might have been curious to see a Lone Ranger too. Right, maybe. Uh, you know, there where you actually get to see the Lone Ranger and Tonto fully in action instead of setting up this and that or the other. Actually, you know what's one thing I remember liking a lot though about that? Just talking the about scene the scene where things. they argue about the dead horse. A little bit that. Yeah, yeah. that was good. That was but cool. <laughs> William Fickner, yeah, isn't it? He made an impression on me. Yeah, he, and he's usually just like a, another like character actor who's like, oh, it's that guy. No, he actually he usually stands out when I see a movie. He he is a terrific character actor. Some um, sometimes he falls flat, but yeah, that happens. Um, he, usually when I see him, it's like, oh, hey, it's that guy from the Dark Knight bank robbery scene. <laughs> Which is funny because. Uh, it's funny you say that because Christopher Nolan being, you know, he's a huge fan of the movie Heat and ah. William Fickner is in that movie. And so it's probably like people who are seeing the Dark Knight and had, were big fans of Heat were probably like, oh, it's the Heat guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what he was banking on. But but yeah, no, he, he pops up in a lot of things. He was in, did you see that movie Drive Angry? Yeah. Yeah, he was the villain in that. I know. He was awesome. Yeah. He was like, he might have been better than Nick Cage in that movie. Possibly. Um, but yeah, no, Lone Ranger. But it's just surprising. I mean, Transformers 2 is a terrible movie. Oh, yeah, he's in that, isn't he? But it probably made a lot more money than the Lone Ranger. Oh, oh, not William Fickner. Uh, well, you got, it's the it's, name thing. I mean, again, people were, you know, they were hoping that largely some people would think, oh, the Lone Ranger, okay. But the thing is... That's a franchise, and later on in, in another discussion, by the way, you know, we'll talk about remakes and reboots uh, regarding a particular item that we want to talk about this week. But to that, you know, who's who, aside from again, your dad obviously he he grew up in that generation where Lone Ranger was on TV, or you could even maybe go to the theater see Lone Ranger. But who's gone out of their way, generally speaking? In our age range, or even people are like twenty years or older or so, and it's been like, "Ooh, let's check out the Lone Ranger." Yeah. So you're basically banking on Johnny Depp, who has been a little bit hit or miss the past several years. Yeah, but I mean, at the time, he was still solid. He was, but it's funny that that actually, well, that was falling off of Dark Shadows too. That wasn't quite the hit that people were hoping for but also they were trying to capitalize on like oh from the people who brought you pirates of the caribbean which was really popular 
Yeah. Now, I will say that you know, there were a number of critics who came out and said, oh, this is such a mess. This is, you know, especially because, you know, critics will go after a movie, especially if it costs a lot of money. Yeah. And I think this costs somewhere in the range of like $250 million, $300 million. Yeah. Now, to the movie's credit, you do see a lot of that money on the screen. Um, but, you know, it's... Here's a good question, actually, before we, before we move on, because I do want to move on and talk okay. about other movies. So another movie that Disney tried to do this sort of thing with, John Carter, which yeah. we saw. And that was also them trying to resurrect this, basically what you could almost call like a dead franchise. Almost dead. <laughs> you know, I, and it only it's lives in like, on in the cultiest of cults. It's in like cryogenic sleep where... Yeah. And ultimately, that's what I'm beginning to think. It's that... Nobody was looking for a Lone Ranger film. No. That, you can't, that ultimately you can't just reach back in the past and say, we're going to make a film out of this, and that's going to make a ton of money, no, even no matter how much effort you put into it. And, you know, even if it had been a really, really yeah. good film... Unless if you have... You know, Lone yeah. Ranger probably wouldn't... Yeah. Uh, even then, even, even if it's yeah. really good, then it probably wouldn't have made its money back anyway. Yeah. The exception is if you have somebody with a really distinct vision. I mean... Uh, when you get something like Django Unchained, that's also, uh, you know, how many people really clamoring for new Django movies, <laughs> but yeah. you have Quentin Tarantino behind it and you have that cast and then it becomes something. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have a good point. All right. If I could actually move on though, to talk about something because there's you a movie that, on. thank you for giving me permission. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> I'm sorry. That wasn't all awkward, but no. You're making me think about a movie that I did watch recently, also a Western, also, but this one had a really troubled production history called uh, Jane Got His Gun, Got a Gun. Wait, let me, let me say that again. Say that again. Jane Got a Gun. Okay. Uh, the problem is in my head, I start to think of that Jane Aerosmith song. Yeah. <laughs> Jane Got a Gun. Bonk, bonk. All right. But that's not that, that's not, that's not that song. This is a Western starring Natalie Portman. Which uh, she also produced. This oh, is this, kind of her baby. This just came out, didn't it? It came out in... I've the, seen a trailer for this. This has a really troubled production history, um, which, you know, again, I because I, I follow s certain movie news sites, I had seen a lot of the scuttlebutt about this. Going back years ago, like this is a movie they shot in 2013, <laughs> and it originally had a different director, and it was this woman... Uh, Oh, oh God! I'm I'm playing. Oh, Lynn Ramsey. That's it. And it was originally had a different cat. Like it had a different cast. Basically, the movie's about this woman who uh, she lives with uh, this man and a kid in this in this house. But it turns out there are these uh, gunslingers coming to coming after uh, her husband. But there's this whole other history uh, with this guy and uh, this character Jane. And so she goes and finds this other guy to help protect uh, her family. Uh, but it also turns out this guy once uh, was in love with her. And so there's a lot of romantic awkward. intrigue, awkward things. Pretty violent movie. Um, and initially, it had a different director. And it had people like Michael Fassbender in the cast and Bradley Cooper. And they left the production because I guess maybe the producer was some kind of jerk. And it went back and forth, and it almost seemed like maybe this movie won't get made. Mm. And then finally they got someone else and just finished the movie. Joel Edgerton is in it as well. 
uh, Owen McGregor's in it, which is weird because it becomes kind of a Star Wars prequel reunion <laughs> because <laughs> Joel Edgerton was also young Uncle Owen in uh, the prequels. Oh, nice. So it's kind of a weird thing because Owen McGregor's the villain, and to see him menacing Natalie Portman in the movie is a little odd. <laughs> yeah, Owen um, McGregor, he doesn't. I don't really see him as a villain. Well, even he, though I'm looking at this, you know, train spotting poster. And oh I, yes, and I've seen. Uh, Shadow oh yeah, I have Grave. a tra- yeah, I have a train spotting poster in uh, in my kitchen. I mean, he looks he looks he looks uh, suspiciously scummy in that poster, but uh, well, that's I, I still don't see ago. him. Uh, I still don't see him as a villain. Well, this, he's, too, he's he's too friendly looking. Well, this is act. It's funny because he plays what should be a type in the movie. He plays a guy, a villain with a mustache. Oh, nice. And you could picture him almost twirling his mustache as he speaks, you know, cause it's that 19th century Western thing, but he actually, he's a villain with a lot of class huh. in a way. He's this, he's the kind of villain who feel, you know, he's just very straightforward about how he sees paying people and getting what's his and keeping control over things. Um, and ultimately, the movie, it's not bad, but it's also, it it lacks a certain energy. It's, it, it kind of, it, you feel the actor's really trying, but either the script or the director isn't always there for them. So, and it can be, it's very violent, too. Hmm. Like, it has, it almost reminded me a little bit of this other movie that I watched, and I think I talked about last year, called uh, The Homesman. I think it was. It's this Western with Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, you've, you've spoken about Hillary this Swank. on the pat, yeah. podcast. And it's it's an interesting thing because I think Natalie Portman wanted to, you know, how many Westerns are there with female leads? Very few. Yeah. I, I assume. I think it was a very commendable, interesting way to go about it because, hey, I'm, I'm a lady and you know me from acting in a lot of different things. You see me in Star Wars. You see me in V for Vendetta. You see me in Black Swan. See, here about here's here's me in the in a western with a gun. Let me see if I can pull that off. And mostly she does. Um but there was just something missing from the experience. It's a bunch of good performances but nothing holds it together. Not too much. Uh I mean it does lead up to a pretty wi- wild ending. Um <laughs> Not not wild in the sense that oh this is really not funny. wild in the sense that there's a train chase. No 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 train chase with Johnny Depp in white white face uh, mocking as an Indian but um but yeah no I mean if you really love westerns uh I'd say check it out uh I'm glad it exists I'm glad it was finished <laughs> you know what I mean like because sometimes movies don't get finished right I'm glad it didn't get shelved even though again it took a while to come out. Um, interestingly too, something else I read, this was actually supposed to premiere in France back in November okay. and then th- that thing happened. <laughs> you, you know, what I'm talking about the explosion at the concert where like a hundred people died. Okay. <laughs> you don't remember that? No, I remember. Yeah. But well, no, it was like you mean the Paris terrorist attacks. Yes. Why didn't you just say that? I thought you knew what I meant by that. Paris in November. No, I wasn't trying to be coy. I thought you <laughs> remembered that. I should have just said Paris terror attacks. Okay. The Paris terror attacks delayed the opening of the movie. Okay. Or premiere of the movie. So it was like one last thing to screw with the production history. Uh, but I find it <laughs> fascinating when movies have this really troubled thing where yeah. not only do actors leave the movie, but the director walks off and they have to hire someone else. And 
I just felt bad for Natalie Portman in a way because like she has to hold this thing together as the producer. Yeah, thing. Uh, and she ends up holding the bag basically. Um, now I know that there are a couple. Now, now I know there's one other movie you want to talk about, but let me just get a few other things out of the way before we get to that. All right. Just as far as like new movies to mention really briefly that I saw and are still in theaters, and you may check out some of them if you want. One of them I don't recommend, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, George Clooney has a new movie out. Good. Money Monster. You heard about it? It's uh, yeah, that's a new character on Sesame Street. What? Money Monster. Money. <laughs> and God, that 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 monster must have quite the digestive system. Money. Yeah, that that would be like in the version of Sesame Street where they teach like uh, <laughs> uh, free capitalism and objectivist ideals. <laughs> Money monster, stop taking all our revenues. Uh, and then you have the. Uh... Then you have like his opponent uh, or nemesis, a Markser, <laughs> like Grover. <laughs> Markser, look out for me! It's Markser. Mar- and then you see like he has like a Karl Marx face, and you know, children's television Instead- workshop were available. <laughs> Instead of working as a waiter, he uh, is protesting for workers' rights. Mm. <laughs> He's consistently just. Uh, uh. In tattered clothing and protesting yes. something. Yeah. He has a drum circle. Yeah. But anyway, so this movie, um, George Clooney's this uh, TV show host where he does like this financial advice type cable show. Right. And um, then this guy comes in during the show and has a gun and holds everybody hostage on live TV and demands like, oh, I lost all my money that I put in the stock market. And I want to find out who's responsible. And, uh, oh, boo-hoo. <laughs> we all got problems, buddy. Yeah, don't tell me your problems, Mac. Um, this is a, this is an entertaining movie. I um, Entertaining like, ha-ha-ha-ha, <laughs> or entertaining like I'm on, on the edge of my seat. A little more on the edge of your seat. Uh, oh, there I, are, I was really hoping that it would actually be on the funnier side. There are a few funny moments. I did laugh a few times. Uh, some of it maybe was due a little bit to certain casting choices. Um, like they have this actor named Dominic West, who I'll actually be talking about in a moment. He was like, he was the lead guy in the wire. He's been a lot of stuff over the years. Um, and he's the kind of top guy at this company who, um, the, the, the guy who's hijacking the show, uh, is after Julia Roberts is also in it. There's one, there are a couple moments where I think they were trying for laughs and, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. Like, there's this little detail where, you know, George Clooney, his character, he's getting ready to do the show, and he's talking to, like, five different people at once and going from one thing to another to another, almost like when you see certain scenes in, like, Good Night and Good Luck, how there are lots of things going on in thing scene. And he talks like this producer of his, and this producer comes up and is like, so this new erectile cream is supposed to be really good. We need to make a plan. And he's like, well, have you tested it? Well, no. We'll test it. I'm not going to tell people to buy it unless you say test it. And so in the middle of like the movie, right at this tense moment, they call up this guy, and he's banging this woman up against the door. <laughs> like, sex payoff. Nice pay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just wanted to be clear about that. Okay, nice payoff. Yeah, nice payoff. Not as funny as I would have liked. Nah, the execution was a little... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was entertaining, even though 
it's not very predictable. No, 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 it is predictable, I should say. It is something that you've kind of seen before. For a moment, I thought you were going to be like, it's not predictable enough. It synthesizes a lot of network and Dog Day Afternoon. Um, It also reminded me a little bit of this movie, John Q, which came out. Oh, Denzel Washington. Yeah, but that that movie was a lot preachier than this. Uh, I mean, there are obviously points about this movie because it is about financial shenanigans in this current day and age. Uh, but it still remembers to be a good thriller, so okay. go check it out. Um, a movie you should not see, it, which might be gone from theaters pretty soon anyway, is called The Darkness. The Darkness. Which is one of the most generic titles you could make for your eh, movie. It's generic, but it's not. A, it, but it still has some. Uh, it has some impact. If it was written by Edgar Allan Poe like 200 years ago, maybe. But today, a movie called The Darkness. Mm. I don't think that really flies. Yeah, it's a, it's a little. Uh... Anyway, what about anyway? It? It's uh, you know, it's sad. horror film, I assume. Oh yeah, well, from good, our good friends at Blumhouse. Who so, let's um... not spend too much time on it. What okay. can you? What can you get? Like, I'll give I'll, us the I'll bottle this up very quickly. Kevin Bacon's in it, and a kid goes into the Grand Canyon while they're on a family trip, and comes across Aztec stones. Okay. And the, he brings the stones home with Aztecs him. Aztecs never lived in North America, but okay. Well, no, no, I mean like I mean the United States area. It was it's something like Aztecs. It's one of those movies where Native, yeah, okay. yeah, Native American spirits come into this kid's house, and the kid is autistic, and yet, and because of that, you spend the whole first half of the movie going, "Uh, oh, do we believe this kid because he's so weird?" And then the second half of the movie is just. Bleh. <laughs> That's my review of the movie. Blech. I, I almost have don't have words for it. It is such a lifeless lump of a movie, which almost barely feels like a movie. When you said he was in the can- Grand Canyon, if he goes into the Grand Canyon, I was hoping it would be like a um, it was in some hanging rock situation. It was in where some he would go into the can- Grand Canyon and never come out. Yeah, like it's it's not it even, saved us a whole load of trouble. Actually, it's the kind of movie where. Char- the, the adult characters watch YouTube videos to be instructed about what all these ancient stones and symbols mean. Now that's supposed and, to be in a comedy. And Yes, but then later in the movie, they're explained the information again by the mystical, magical Mexican woman who's oh, going to no. clear the house of the spirits. I'm not kidding here. Oh, don't go see this movie. Okay, oh. that's the darkness. <laughs> Did I ball that up enough for you? Oh, that sounds awful. All right. In a good movie, though, The Nice Guys. Oh. You heard about The Nice Guys? Yeah, this is the movie with the... I forget the names. Their names are uh, Ryan Crow and Russell Gosling. I think you... I was doing that intentionally. Sorry. I was was trying to see if you were paying attention. I'm sorry. I'm such a dick. (laughs) Okay. Russell Crow and Ryan Gosling. Uh, 70s mystery comedy movie. Oh, like Scooby-Doo. Um, a little... <laughs> it has a little bit more class to it than that. Um, it's from... Russell uh, Crowe is shaggy. And no, Ryan no, Ryan Gosling, Gosling would, is Fred. Ryan Gosling would be more shaggy. He, uh, Russell Crowe is a little bit too tough for that. Russell Crowe would kick your ass. In this movie, too, he does that quite a bit. This is the funniest I've seen Russell Crowe, and I, I can't remember. Since Virtuosity. Yeah, I was thinking of that. This is his first. This is the first time I've laughed Seriously? a lot. Yeah, wow, he, it's quite funny. He and Ryan Gosling make a really good comedy pair. 
but it's all you know it's also i mean it is a real there is a real mystery at it um they they are investigating this girl like missing girl who's it involves a lot of the porn industry at the time and you get like a porno party with, with lots of disco music and uh lots of you know gun battle it's from sheen black so if you've seen kiss kiss bang bang or if you did or if you weren't one of those people like me who really did enjoy iron man 3 uh he was behind that uh wrote lethal weapon okay so he he has a great way with dialogue uh so that's the thing to remember for this movie if you like actors who are really good playing off of each other with dialogue um there's also a young actress who I don't have her name in front of me, but like Ryan Gosling is a daughter in the movie who becomes like the sort of person who's actually really helping the investigation. Like, cause like her, her father is basically like a big drunk and Russell Crowe's like, I'm going to come beat you up because I'm Russell Crowe. Um, and she's the one who's kind of like, all right, let's actually get this Mr. It is like Scooby-Doo. She's like Penny from inspector gadget. Yeah. I didn't think that. But that's a perfect point. There we she go. She is Penny in Inspector Gadget. <laughs> perfect. That is the uh, nice guys, and it that's is what awesome. I do. Uh, I find metaphors rooted in popular culture. Go gadget, go. Um, all right. Before I go on, what was your movie? Well, this isn't so much as a, a movie as a as a personal milestone. Okay. I finally completed the 100 scariest movie moments list. Oh yeah, you were telling me you were working on that. That's when you were watching those Mario Bava movies right. and uh, some of those Argento and Fulci horror movies. Yeah, and, that, uh, that was it. I was uh, th- this. This. How is, long have you been working on it? Th- this is for the greater part of ten years. Ten years. Now I, I haven't been consistent with it. Okay. I, I haven't been like, <laughs> oh, I gotta see this next, and like, oh, next week I'm gonna do this. No, it was usually like a thing like around Halloween. I'd be like, oh, I gotta, I gotta see a few more movies on the list, uh, and I, I'd slowly build my list. So I realized I was at a point where it was like there were three more, mm-hmm. and I saw them within the last two weeks. They were Wait Until Dark, ah. uh, The Ring, mm. and a. Th- third one which i don't remember right now give me a minute give me a minute <laughs> it's, it's fine uh, uh well i'll think of it as i go along. oh okay. cape fear that was it the, the scorsese one no the, the original with gregory peck you know i have n- actually the scorsese one has gregory peck too but he, that's cameo well gregory but, peck and robert mitchell yeah in cameos but uh i still have this not is the, seen original the original one the original black and white that is one of my big gaps for me yeah and uh, I was just so glad to do it. Uh, it was uh, Wait Until Dark is kind of, uh, you know, Alan Arkin's in that with Audrey Hepburn. I've seen it. Uh, which is a... It's quite good. It's based on a play, I think, but, yeah. it's, uh, but it's a pretty good thriller. Mm-hmm. Alan Arkin kind of hams it up, but he's still kind of cool, and uh, mm. there's a lot of suspense. Uh, Audrey Hepburn does a great job. She plays a really interesting character, this yeah. blind woman who's, who's, you know, been blinded in a car accident, and yeah. she's... Uh, she, Ultimately, there there's a trio of men who are trying to infiltrate her apartment yeah, to, get this, one of them. to get this uh, this doll, which is important yeah. for some reason. And they're you know taking advantage of the fact that she's blind and you know <laughs> acting as different people mm-hmm. uh, in, in in some kind of goofy ways too. Yeah, I mean there are goofy moments. But there are also a lot of moments that are genuinely terrifying. Yeah, but it is kind of uh, uh, but it is an interesting sort of home invasion film because it's also Audrey Hepburn is. Is is not stupid. Her character yeah. is uh, is is pre- pretty clever and has her own ways of yeah, uh, figuring she, out what's going not, on. She's not helpless. No, 
That's and that's the thing. If you watch that movie and she was pretty helpless, then you might get a little bit tired of it. And fast. and the climax does a lot of clever things. Yeah. I, well, also, Alan Arkin is just such a memorable villain in yeah. that movie. Like I remember him really standing out as like, well, this guy is just evil. <laughs> he he's pretty evil. Although he's evil with a purpose. He ha- he has like a goal. He's not just yeah. like he he's there for a reason. Uh, but yeah. then you know I saw the ring. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it, it came out in my lifetime, and you know, it was in a time before I, I yeah, even I didn't, acknowledged I didn't films. see it in the theater either. Like at, initially, I thought it looked kind of generic. I mean, but The Ring is the one that brought Jap- Japanese horror to American shores. Yeah, and and for good reason because it's a really good movie. The Ring is a remake of an earlier Japanese film, Ringu. Ringu. Uh, I'm probably going to see that eventually. I heard it's not I, as good. I heard it; it's better. It depends who you talk to. I, I suppose so. Uh, looking back on it, uh, I, I was I was kind of impressed with the ring because I expected it to be kind of like the hype is over and now you know the movie probably isn't that great. And I I just kind of enjoyed it. It's got yeah. a lot. Of, it's got a lot of cool touches. You know what I like most about this film though? Mm. I just really like the video of the ring. The one that yeah. you watch and seven days later it kills you. Yeah. I just really like it as this sort of avant-garde experimental film. Because you yeah. know me, I love things like that. And well, I, if I was a person in that situation, it's like, oh, this is going to kill me in seven days. Yeah. I've already watched it. I might as well watch it like 20 more times. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny that you get uh, – it's funny when you have certain movies that deal with a video that's very ominous and uh, you know has some me- – like uh, that movie Cache. I haven't seen it. Okay, well, that's another thing like that. Um, or Lost Highway. All right. Uh, Lost Highway is a little too long for my tastes, although I, I, w- I would probably return to Lost Highway and, you know, just... Oh, you're talking about what you would thing. watch again and again. No, what I mean is... Oh, the oh the, movie, the, the video movie, in the movie. The video in the movie. Oh, The movie oh, that, okay. that kills you after seven days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is a really... I really like it as, like, this experimental film. Yeah. And I just... If I was going to die anyway after it, I'd be like... All right, let's just watch it 20 yeah. more times. This is cool. Well, it's always good when you have a certain image from a movie that can be iconic. And, you know, when that ghost or, or demon or whatever comes out of the TV. Right. Really good. Um, uh, a few. Uh, let me see what, uh, and what you else just I was going to say about The Ring. Uh, I, uh, another thing that I really noticed about The uh, the Ring is, like, it, it, uh, it still has its roots in Japanese culture, the yeah. sort of urban legend okay. that still, uh, you know, that uh, it's kind of based on. I've, uh-huh. I've read a little bit about Japanese urban legends, and this yeah. is, fits pretty well into that. Uh, but then I saw Cape Fear. Cape Fear is good. Robert okay. Mitchum is just cool. And yeah. Well, that, that Robert Mitchum's one of the coolest guys on the planet. And he's got, in this film, he play, it's weird because he plays this rapist. Yeah. And the film like it's it's from the 1960s so it really skirts around the whole rape. It's a little uh, bit thing. more black and white of an issue whereas you know the, the the De Niro Scorsese one tried to find some more gray areas. Yeah. But I don't think anybody really even says rape in the film. It's mm. it's like so they, it, so it was they... at a time when it was like uh everyone's like uh, uh it's this horrible crime we can't just say it hmm. on film. Yeah. But it uh but Robert Mitchum plays the, this rapist but he has this weird sexual energy, to yeah, him, which is kind of appealing <laughs> in a weird sort of mindset. And I, I don't want to this. 
it sounds too weird, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. You're going to put a Robert Mitchum poster up on your wall. You can say it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about left hand and right hand, Andrew. Oh, <laughs> Night of the Hunter, that was also on that list. But I'm glad oh. I finished this. The whole 100 films list is done for me. Right on. High five. All right. All right. That's awesome. And uh, I feel great about now, that. Now, going back to Wait Until Dark, I'd like to talk really fast, if I can, about... A movie very in the vein of Way Until Dark, which I watched this week, and also it, it connected with that, this horror filmmaker that I've really grown to like recently. It's this movie called Hush. Okay. And it's on Netflix. You can watch it now if you have Netflix. I encourage you to do so. Um, in this movie, like Way, you know, Way Until Dark, you have the woman who's blind, and you know she's in the apartment while... Uh, I mean, She's not in there the whole time. I think she comes home at a certain point. And wait until dark. Yeah, she's not there the whole time. At first, don't it, the it, three guys come and she's not there? It, it yeah, but I mean the whole the whole movie is based yeah, in that apartment. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is like this woman is at this cabin in the woods, which or a house in the woods. Let's say that. And if it's in the woods, it's a cabin. And she's deaf. <laughs> All right. She's actually she and she's a writer, which uh, I mean they do some little stuff with that. That's the one typical thing. But the serial killer, you know, is basically stalking her through the whole movie. Huh. And that's the whole thing. Like, it starts with this other woman getting killed, like, right outside her window. And, you know, she's not, you know, she can't hear, like, the woman banging on the window going, like, help me, help me. And this guy in, like, this mask, not like a bad mask, but very just plain, uh, not ostentatious, comes up and stabs this woman. And, oh, you just feel it so much. And it's just like, oh, this woman is in such trouble. Hmm. And, yeah, so you just watch for, like, 80 minutes this woman have to navigate against the serial killer, who also, as a, I guess as a tiny change of pace, not working with a knife, but a bow and arrow. Huh. Yeah. That certainly, uh, that certainly mixes it up. And pro one, of the one of the crazy things that I didn't realize until I went and looked up this actor, the guy who plays the killer is this, is this actor named John Gallagher, who we previously saw earlier this year in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Okay. And he's like the third guy in the, right. in the cabin, not the cat in the bunker. And so it's like, wow, this guy has so much range to go from playing this guy. Who's kind of this. Okay. This cheerful guy. Yeah. Uh, who's trying to keep the peace to playing a stone cold psychotic killer. By the way, and, if you want to know more about 10 Cloverfield Lane, listen to our review of it. We yeah. loved it. Or did we? Did we? Um, now, connected with that, the filmmaker behind this movie, Hush, which is really well done. Just The thing I've noticed about this guy, his name is Mike Flanagan. And this director also made two movies, uh, which I watched recently for the first time. One is called Oculus, which maybe you heard of that. That sounds familiar. That involves this, uh, this, th that involves this brother and sister who, uh, you know, are... are the sister decides as an adult, okay, I want to try to go get back at this ghost or these demons who are part of this mirror. And Oh, it's the one with the mirror that does the things and makes you see things. Yeah, the, the things. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie. I don't yeah, know everything that and, happens. And then, she, then he made another movie called Absentia, which I just watched uh, for our movie night recently. And that's about these mis mysterious like disappearances of people who often involve like going into like this tunnel? Um, is there ever a disappearance that's not mysterious? 
Uh, it's like, oh, we expected that guy to disappear. Well, it's maybe, no big deal. Well, maybe if a guy is like cheating on his wife or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you know, maybe the wife's like, eh, nah, I knew that was going to happen. That, that doesn't seem too mysterious. No. <laughs> um, but this director, he deals with these premises which are not. If you look at them on the surface, it's like, oh, that's not too original. A woman getting stalked to her house. It's a home invasion movie. Uh, I, he puts the twist on right at the beginning. It's not. Yeah. It's not just. The normal situation, and then you get the twist. Yeah. It's situation with twist, and then yeah. we'll twist again and then like, on. And then this, you know, oh, you have a mirror, which, you know, if you look at it for too long or it's in your proximity too long, you're going to become a homicidal maniac. Um, right, but usually but it's it all would in... be like you move into the house, it's got the mirror, then you find out like two-thirds of the way through the film that, oh, well, the mirror's doing it. Well, no, well, that, well, that's the thing is like the mirror, they discuss, like the there's this whole great scene where the sister lays out on camera because she wants like people to see her talk about it right so she talks about how there's this whole history going back a hundred years with this mirror mysteriously killing people all right but that's like all in the first act yeah but then the rest of it it's all about execution and i realized that with horror movies you know if you have if you can really tell your story well especially visually if you can convey a lot of information without saying too much and just let actions and creepiness set in, then you have something, you know, or you can make the darkness and just fuck it up completely. That's what I always wondered about when I was watching the ring. It's like, Oh, we have this mysterious tape that kills people. Yeah. And then it's always like, Oh, well, and then there's like another thing. It's like, Oh, here's a mirror that also kills people in this strange way. And it's like, who's making these things? (laughs) (laughs) Now we find out in the ring where the tape comes from, but there, a lot of films don't really deal with that. Yeah, like I mean, with Oculus, this is a movie that almost, at its best, like I mean, near the end, it starts to fall apart a little bit. Uh, it gets a little bit too much. It cutting. gets a little ahead of itself, or yeah, or, well, it, or well, it's like it's moving so so fast well, they can't keep together. A little bit. Well, the movie keeps on cutting back and forth between what's happening in the present as these two brother and sister, they're adults and they're in the house again. And the sister wants to try to finally kill this demon by literally using like a, like a kill switch that will swing down and like crack the mirror. Right. Um, but that cuts back uh, to Prince the Prince of Fla- darkness. I forgot about that movie. Donald Pleasance. I have John Carpenter. Yeah. I oh, like that man. movie a lot, but I haven't seen it in so long, but then like it cuts back to when they were kids and that's when you know their parents went crazy from the the mirror and uh also tommy smash the mirror oh yes and then there's like a giant pile of baked beans and yeah um okay so yeah mike flanagan really really superb director he doesn't hasn't made like a perfect great movie but he's strong enough to where I, I keep wanting to see everything that he'll do from now on. He seems like he has a lot of promise. He has a whole lot of promise, especially, again, watch this movie Hush, and there are, there are, there are passages that made me as tense as No Country for Old Men. Mm. It has some of that tone, where you're just watching people not saying anything, you know, obviously because one of them can't talk, and right. it's just, oh, when is this going to pop? Right. Um, a couple other things I want to talk about, because I don't have too much time, but, um, on the fun side of things, um, I watched... Wait a minute, are you saying that there are movies that aren't fun? Sometimes. You're... I know, who wants to go a movie that's not fun? You, you... Why be intellectually stimulated? You know what I was... 
this is. I'm just going to do a little thought. I'm going to interrupt you for one second. <laughs> All right, then maybe give me an extra minute instead right. of cutting you off in an hour. You, uh, biz, biz, uh, any movie can be fun as long as you have the right expectations. I'm done. Go. Uh, wow, that's that's a heavy point. We'll, we'll, we'll talk, talk about it. We'll, we're going to talk about that later, obviously. Yes. All right. Um, well, in line with that, uh, now, now I was hoping to talk about two of the obscure Marvel movies that maybe some of you hadn't seen. I didn't get a chance like to watch the, one of like them. Like the first Fantastic Four film? Well, that's that, that wasn't really released. Obscure. Well, yeah, that, that's a cult item. But no, no. Punisher Warzone. Oh, that was the one, uh, the most recent Punisher film, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you don't count uh, Daredevil, where Punisher, like, they finally got Dare- Punisher completely that's not, right there. But that's not a film. That's no, it's a, a, that's a Netflix series. No, but this is, yeah, the most recent Punisher movie from 2008. Um, oddly enough, directed and produced by women. Nice. And women. it is one of the bloodiest, craziest goddamn experiences i've had in a while wow um because the thing with this movie uh if you know the story of the punisher i mean frank castle his family's killed by mobsters and so i'm gonna get revenge on everybody wipe out like every single person who has like a little mobster lapel on their (laughs) jacket or Uh, not (laughs) that's Wait, are there seriously monster no, lapels? No, but oh, okay. they might as well okay. be in this movie. No, the thing about this For movie... For a minute, I was going to say this was stupid. This, but... well, well, this is a very schizophrenic experience, because on the one hand, they actually do a pretty decent job of making a serious Punisher movie, as far as the character of the Punisher, right. who's played by this actor, Ray Stevenson, who I could tell watching this really dug in deep and want, and got the essence of this guy who's... Really haunted, but also doesn't give a damn. Right. And will just blow apart anything in his path, uh, which is, I guess, you know, it's what the Punisher does. He's The Punisher is the character who other, you know, DC characters go like, Marvel. damn. Or Marvel, I guess. Go. But even, like, the Joker, if he came up against the Punisher, he'd be like, uh, okay, man. <laughs> the, the thing, it's a weird thing about the Punisher. Like, from what I've heard about the Punisher, the Pun- Punisher kind of exists in his own separate corner of comic books. Well, because he doesn't really mesh well with a world where superheroes are kind of these good balanced people. He kills who try people. not to kill. He kills people with no well, there he is kills co- well, bad there is kind people. of a code. Yeah, he doesn't kill women and children, but he'll kill the bad guys whereas, you know, you, you we've had discussions about wait, why is Superman why is he killing people now? Why is Batman killing people now? Yeah. With Punisher, it's just, oh, we get it. Now, the reason this is schizophrenic, though, is because on the one hand, there's a slightly more serious movie going on there. And on the flip side, you have the villain who, again, <laughs> I now remember, we... I remember when this came out, the villain is like this guy who's got this cut-up face. Yeah, his name is Jigsaw. Oh, Not to yay. get confused with the Saw villain. This guy is named Jigsaw and played by Dominic West. See, I mentioned him before, bringing nice. him back. He is like this... And by the way, this actor is British, and he's playing by far the most laughably bad Brooklyn accent I have ever seen in my life. Even and, even worse than that guy, that cabbie from Time Chasers. Oh, <laughs> uh, pretty close. Yeah, but what happens is not unlike, actually, exactly like Batman. You have a scene in this factory where the villain is hanging from the Punisher's clutches and then falls, but instead of into a vat of acid, it's into a vat of broken bottles. Okay. 
And by the way, as he's getting cut up, he keeps saying, fuck you, castle, fuck you. Like He doesn't feel like, ow, ow, ow. He's just yelling at Punisher. <laughs> and so he comes out and yeah, his entire face is scarred up. And so, and then he goes to the local asylum and breaks out his brother named, I'm not kidding, Looney Bin Jim, who then the two of them. I assume it's because he spent a lot of time in the Looney Bin. Uh, you could say that he's also like a completely like feral animal in oh, human well, form. Well, that's a problem. Yeah, and so you have these two movies going on in one, where one is this really serious, you know, dark, sad movie, and then you have a movie that where it's just completely cartoonish to the point where Dick Tracy's looking at it and going, "All right, man, go, calm down." Seriously, guys. Seriously, you can tone it down a little bit. <laughs> it's. I, I wish we had watched this for movie night. This would have been a blast. Uh, There's a scene where there are three parkour thugs. These thugs who do parkour everywhere parkour they go. Gangs. Yeah, they literally go from place to place <laughs> doing parkour. And there's a scene where they're parkouring across the roof. And you see one guy go across, and then it's the second guy is going across. The Punisher shoots like a grenade gun and makes the guy explode. Psh. I was cracking up watching that. So, is it a very good movie? I don't know, but it is something. Man. Like, this is a movie that was on uh, How This Get Made, and they were like, we thought this movie was awesome. <laughs> All right. So I, a couple... I think I'll see that soon. All right, yeah. A couple more things to talk about. Um, I saw Sunset Boulevard again. Cool. Great movie. Great. Uh, go see it. Right. There. That's my review. Buster Keaton. <laughs> oh, God. Can I just mention really... Man, Cecil B. DeMille. Seeing this in a theater, uh, I should not see this in a theater again. I The thing that sucked was I was watching them. <laughs> they had a perfect print. And they had, like, the grandson of the, one of the screenwriters, not Billy Wilder, but his co-writer. And he gave, like, a PowerPoint presentation before the movie Ooh. for some reason. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. It was, like, Charles Brackett Jr. or whatever. The perfect print. That moment where they're having the card game, where she, Gloria Swanson's playing cards with the waxworks. Right. Buster Keaton comes on screen, and this guy in the audience goes, Buster Keaton! What? We know it's Buster Keaton! We're yes. seeing this movie! Well, most of us have seen it before. Yeah, I know. Don't applaud that. Don't applaud a five-second cameo. This isn't television. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Seriously, um, seriously, theater clapping Buster Keaton guy. Yeah. Calm down. Um, okay, a couple more things to talk about really fast. Uh, the other movie I watched at movie night was uh, this thing called Battle Beyond the Stars. That seems familiar. Well, it connects back. Uh, I mean, a couple weeks ago I talked about Magnificent Seven. Right. Uh, this is Roger Corman doing his Magnificent Seven. Or, no, I'm sorry, I should say Seven Samurai Ugh. in space. This was a 1980 movie with uh, George Pappard and uh, Richard Thomas, I think was his name, or something like that. And, yeah, it's basically, oh, our planet is going to be, like, occupied by these, like, uh, space pirate criminals uh, headed by John Saxon. So we're going to send out our one guy across the universe to round up these various people to help us fight the... And, and, you know, I was watching this with Corey, and she made, like, a great point. Why wouldn't they just take them over at the start? Yeah. It just didn't make sense. If you have, like, advanced technology like that, like, it's one thing if you're, 
like in like Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai. Yeah, where it's just like one village and you know it's it's a it's a it's a but they're moving but they're going it's, after a whole planet. Yeah, it, it just I mean, scaling make... up does not make the stakes higher. Yeah, it just make it just increases the number of questions. Yeah, it was at times it was very dull, but it also had charm in just the way that uh, everything had to be built. For this movie, yeah, because it's 1980, and you know, made pretty cheap because it's Roger Corman's way. But great art direction, which came from, ready for it, James Cameron. I, th- I thought you were going to say that. And his the first score ever by James Warner. Huh. So interesting little things going on in the background. But I, I was hoping for more as far as a so bad it's good movie. Yeah. Yeah, and it, you know, again, and it's so shamelessly rips from magnificent seven like it's not even funny it's like to the t like things that you wouldn't even expect the one fun thing was this guy george papard who uh i don't know if you know that actor sure he was uh he was the he was one of the guys in the a-team okay yeah yeah that's true uh now i remember hannibal something's his name yeah he plays his character named cowboy and he he's like basically a han solo ripoff in a way he's supposed to be like i'm the roguish guy but the best thing is he on his belt, he can pour himself a glass of whiskey. Okay. He has like ready to make whiskey on his belt. Huh. So like he'll take out a glass and on his belt he'll have scotch and he can pour himself one. So that was pretty entertaining. Yeah. Um last few things to talk about. Um I uh hmm. Let's see, what do I want to mention here? Uh well I saw Dark City. Good. Have you seen that movie? Yes. It's a masterpiece. It's pretty awesome. Man. I say that... This is the kind of movie that I had seen bits and pieces of over the years. I don't know why I never watched it from start to finish. Uh, They say that one of the best things to do if if you've never seen Dark City is to watch it and mute it so that you don't hear the opening narration. Well, well, no, but, but the thing is, though, there are now two versions of it. That's the theatrical cut. Yeah. The director's cut does away with the narration. Oh, good. So you saw the director's cut. Yes. And I believe oh, lucky it's, you. And I, well, it's on Blu-ray. It's not like I'm particularly lucky. You can get it for like five bucks. Lucky you. You have money to buy a Blu-ray. I do. I plunked down that $5 and I got my movie. Yeah. Bravo, my hero. Congratulations, Jack. <laughs> I get a Blu-ray. I get a Blu-ray. I get a Blu-ray. No Blu-ray for um, me. Yeah, it's just... This worked on me in like a similar way. It sounds like an odd comparison, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Hmm. That was an experience where you have like genres which get melded together and yet it works so completely. Because right. Dark City, you have just hardcore film noir going on. You have like the guy who literally wakes up and doesn't know who, what his name is and doesn't know where he came from and he has to figure out his identity and he even has like the wife who like is a lounge singer and people coming after him. But then you have science fiction that is With just the so stuff we're crazy. Not tell you about no, don't I won't tell you about the science fiction in this movie. You just have to see it. And I was just so impressed. Like I just to create this whole world. And yet make it about something. Yeah. Like, it really is almost about, like, how we are as human beings and how we uh, define ourselves and our places in the world. Like, it, it really crept up on me, and I realized by the end of it, wow, this is, might be one of the best movies of the 90s by far. Cool. Um, 
All right, and one last thing, because I have a couple minutes left. Um, uh, I watched Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. That's a movie? It was a concert movie. Oh. Or a documentary, sort of. I was really hoping that it was a fictionalized you version hope that, of that album. That would, that would be a great like, idea. Like Yellow Submarine or... Uh... Or, no, not A Hardest Day's Night. That's different. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Where they take, like, a concept and really make a movie out of it. Yeah, like Yellow Submarine. Yeah, sure. Or, or Quadrophenia. Yeah, there we go. Or, or Tommy. Or, or Tommy, there we go. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. Was Ziggy Stardust as much of a con- like a real concept album like those? Because I didn't think that that album well, really I connects mean, as well as those things. Th- I mean, you a... do have Ziggy Stardust. You have that song. Yeah, but Ziggy Stardust is, like, a character and he has a story. In that, yeah, you know, really like a lot of con- and like a lot of concept albums, it's it's not always a fully fleshed out story. I maybe. mean, it's not as fleshed out as something like Tommy or maybe even like uh, uh, or Quadrophenia, where you have you know the Who are just great at that. But no, it, uh, but but this this was a if you get a chance to check this out, not a great documentary. Like they show some behind the scenes stuff, and it's just like, uh, all right, who cares? Get out of here, Ringo. We know you wanted to get backstage and <laughs> pops up. But the concert itself, oh my god. You can't get much better than David Bowie at that height of doing Siggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane. And, you know, like, you see a live version of this song called Width of a Circle, which I don't know if you've heard that song. No. It's off of uh, Man Who Sold the World. And uh, just so compelling. And uh, also remarkable, too, because it was the very last time he performed... As like the Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars. Um, so if you get a chance to check it out, that is especially uh, that was especially satisfying. Cool. So I mean, there's more stuff I could talk about, but we're gonna leave it at that because uh, we gotta come back and talk about other movies. We're like archaeologists; we save a part of our dig for future generations to dig up. Yes, and um, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna talk about. Uh, Stop tapping with the paperclip. Oh, <laughs> Andrew's getting on me about messing with a paperclip. Hey, it's my paperclip. All right. We'll I'm cut gonna, that out of the podcast. I'll cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> well, when, let, we, when we come back... No, let me do this again. When we come back, Andrew goes into Russia. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm.